Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, this is Mark Graben. Welcome to episode 225 of the podcast for July 22nd, 2015. Joining me once again on the podcast is Dr. John Toussaint. He's the founder and CEO of the ThetaCare Center for Healthcare Value. We're going to be talking about his latest book that's titled Management on the Mend. Now, John wrote his this new book here to document the uh, what he calls the core elements of successful lean transformations that he's seen, not just at ThetaCare, but at other organizations around the world. And uh, we're going to discuss topics including... Yeah, how often does John find leaders, executives who are willing to admit they need to be mended, as his uh, title implies, management on the mend? How do values and principles drive systems and lean improvement? Uh, how can key support departments like finance and HR become partners in transformation efforts? And what's the role of the board in driving lean transformation? So John is going to talk about all of that. He's going to talk a bit about the transformation model that's in the book, and I would certainly encourage you uh, to buy the book and read it uh, to learn more about the elements of that model. Again, the book is Management on the Mend. If you'd like to find links to learn more or purchase the book as a hardcover or a Kindle version, you can go to leanblog.org slash 225. Well, John, thanks uh, again for uh, being a returning guest here on the podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Mark. It's always uh, it's always fun. Well, and uh, you know you've got a new book out, and it's always fun talking about what you're doing and and what you've been writing about. So maybe we just jump in and and, and talk about the new book, Management on the Mend. You know, as a, as a follow up um, to your your previous books, can you, can you tell the listeners how this book came to be? Well, we've been studying a number of organizations around North America. I spend a lot of time visiting uh, organizations and. What we have uh, been finding is that there are sort of some core elements, some core um, characteristics of successful lean transformations across the industry. So what we wanted to do was write a book about the framework of the the uh, successful lean transformations. And we're really talking about the whole transformation here, not just one component of it. So... This book is, is the compendium of knowledge uh, from the center, from my organization, the Theta Care Center for Healthcare Value, as we know it today. Yeah, so how do you gauge um, successful? I mean, how, how would you describe something you would consider to be a successful lean transformation? Well, as you know, lean is, is about getting results. I mean, the only reason that you would go through the change process required to transform your entire organization is to deliver better results. And what we were looking for is organizations that really had significantly better results and then how they had, you know, what they had done from the standpoint of their lean journey to achieve those. So, for example, the Palo Alto Medical Foundation used uh, their redesign um, work to actually become the number one uh, set of clinics in, in California related to uh, customer quality and service. And that was rated by Consumer Reports, which has been spending a lot of time throughout the country building uh, consumer reports for, for healthcare clinics. 
And so we were looking at, you know, where's the world-class performance going on and then, and then studying those, those companies. And as you say in the book, this is kind of a, a balanced scorecard, if you will, of measures around safety and quality and access and cost kind of across the board results, not just, uh, you know, a lot of people often focus on, you know, looking for cost reduction and, and clearly there, there's, there's more to it than that, right? Yeah, I think we still have a lot of site visitors and, um, you know, the one thing I tell them is if, if, if you're coming to try to learn this methodology so that you can take $200 million out of your cost structure, you're probably not going to be successful. Because as we all know, this is about redesigning processes to deliver better value, which means taking waste out of the process of care. And you should see improved quality, reduced cost, and improved staff engagement. All three of those things are critically important from the standpoint of measuring success. And if you're just looking for cost reduction, uh, this isn't the, the methodology for you. Well, and, you know, there's there's old habits around that, you know, organizations that have been in, in cost cutting mode. And, and a lot of that comes through laying off staff. And, you know, you and I have both seen, you know, that lean, of course, is a great alternative um, to that strategy, um, you know, organizations that are um, reducing costs through quality and safety improvement. They're making no layoff commitments. And so, you know, organizations that are adopting that, uh, you know, they're they're. I guess examples of management on demand. Back to your book title, and so I guess you know, my question is, um, uh, you know, how often do you find where managers or senior leaders are willing or to admit, or that you know they're comfortable with the idea that management needs to be mended? Is that sort of a, a controversial thing to propose to them? What, what are you seeing out there? I think that with the advent of the ACA and the other changes with the recent SGR fix in patient in physician payments that most executives now know that we're not going to ride the uh, volume horse anymore, that we're going to have to move to value. <clears throat> and the, that, in combination with the reduction in payments that are coming from Medicare over the next few years, has really led the executives in healthcare to say, oh boy, you know, what we're doing now isn't going to work in this new world. Is there a better way? And so I think it's really driven a lot of interest in the lean methodology as an as a option to transform, uh, you know, the culture. And um, there is a lot more interest today than there ever has been from the executive standpoint. Now, interest doesn't necessarily equate into results or successful transformations, but that's where it starts. I mean, we have to be curious about, hey, is there a different way? Is there a better way? And of course, now we have a lot of organizations around North America that are that are applying these principles and are and are begun are be uh, you know become very successful. So I think uh, this really is a movement uh, in the management uh, realm of of healthcare, and uh, I only see it accelerating. Mm -hmm. And do, do you find it's easier for for you as a, a former hospital CEO to talk? with other hospital CEOs uh, about the need to change and, and how that starts personally with them? Do you, do you find, I, mean, I imagine um, that at least helps bring up the issue. You have your own experiences to talk about. Well, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's human nature. The CEOs want to talk to CEOs and I sat in that chair for a long time and uh, so, and, and, and we were successful. So, you know, I think that it's, 
uh, it's helpful to have somebody that's you know sat sat in the chair so to speak uh, to be able to uh, answer some of the questions but but the reality is as as we all know this is learning by doing so even somebody that's sat in the chair you know is not going to be nearly as successful uh, as a CEO that's actually out there doing something and and so that's what I always suggest is a you know we just have to go do something that's that's how we're going to learn and uh, if there's enough curiosity on the CEO's uh, part then then I'm happy to try to get involved and 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 help them along on the learning journey and and like you said you know just um, you know interest isn't enough we need activity but at the same time you know people under a lot of pressure uh, I mean, we, we probably want to minimize the number of uh, failures or, or struggles people have with lean and so let, let's let's come back to the book and talk about the transformation model that you laid out in the book as you know before we dive into some of the details can, can you talk about the idea of you know a roadmap or a model and and sort of how you came to develop that based on the experiences at theta care what you're seeing in other organizations yeah, I think this is well beyond the experience of ThetaCare. The book is really focuses on 11 different organizations and the success that they've had to date. And I think that what we are finding in the successful organizations is that they are following a framework. You know, there's not one prescription for the lean transformation. Each it, the, it it's situational because every organization is different. But what we tried to do was identify what is that uh, framework for success. And then within that framework, we gave several different types of examples. So the chapter on the Central Improvement Office, I mean, I gave three examples of how you might put that together. Three successful examples, really quite different from each other. So I think, you know, it's, it, it again, goes back to, to the principles. And, of course, the, the principles we teach are from the Shingo Institute. We believe that... Uh, those principles are are the are the core of of any lean transformation, and uh, and that's what we focus on. And then the book lays out the the different um, activities that that organizations need to be uh, focused on uh, that that really fit the framework. So, to, for people who aren't familiar with uh, the Shingo Institute and the the, the great work. That they're doing. Uh, what What are some of those values and principles that um, you know these successful organizations incorporate into their approach? Or, or are there any of those principles that some organizations miss, unfortunately, that that lead to different problems? Well, I think um, you know I can we, we can talk about a few examples of the, of those, but I think the 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 essence is that principles are actually. Once you establish principles in your organization, you can build the systems then that change the organizational behavior, the individual behavior of the people that work there. And that's, you know, that's pretty much the fundamental thinking behind the Shingo um, principle. So let's take the principle of lead with humility, which, quite frankly, I find little of in healthcare. Uh, it's all about image and uh, power and bigger is better. Uh, lead with humility is a principle that drives a different type of system than what we've seen in traditional American healthcare, and then and then obviously different behavior. And the scientific method to to uh, solve problems is another key principle. 
And so what we're saying there is that we're going to build a system of PDSA thinking, which then is going to change the behavior of the individuals that work in the organization to always be using PDSA thinking to, um, to solve problems. I think, you know, those principles then really begin to redesign your organization, and that's why I spent a whole chapter on on, on principles. I, I spent a chapter on values and principles. So values are different. Uh, values are sort of the deeply held beliefs of an organization. So, you know, the example I use is Paul O'Neill's belief that true respect for people is we should never injure any of our employees. So when he took over at Alcoa, he made it clear to the Wall Street shareholders and everybody else that his focus was going to be on employee safety. And over the next few years, he made Alcoa the safest company in the world. And oh, guess what else happened is it became the most profitable, one of the most profitable companies. So again, I think, you know, there's, there's the values, what are those deeply held beliefs? And then there's these key principles behind the lean transformation that are critical. Well, that, that whole idea of humility, um, you know, comes through very strongly if you, if you spend time with Toyota. There's uh, a great book I, I really like. I think a lot of people don't know about it. It's called Toyota by Toyota, and it was written by a number of authors and team members and leaders from uh, the plant in Georgetown, Kentucky. And chapter one of the book is completely about this theme of leading with humility and how the manager who wrote that chapter you know, really had that emphasized as they were, um, you know, brought into the organization about how important it was um, to, to lead with humility. And, um, you know, that's maybe less, it, it's, it's not as easy uh, to see, you know, somebody comes and visits an organization, they, they see tools and methods, maybe they see systems, it, it's harder to see those underlying principles and philosophies unless they are manifested in some way. Well, and I think that's, you know, what's missing in, in most organizational transformation is they, they miss the, the, the core elements of the leadership changes that need to happen. So that principle of lead with humility is clearly one of them. But then there's also, and, and we, spent, uh, we spend a chapter on this in the book, you know, the actual management system by which we can actually lead the organization. So what is that standard work from top to bottom? Uh, within the the um, the managers and leaders of the organization that are going to uh, lead to delivering better value for the for the patient, and that's another thing that we find missing is <clears throat> very 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 few organizations have actually defined what that um, that leadership standard work is. Now, um, and 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 so that leader standard work is a big part of one one of the. Parts of the model you talk about in the book is the idea of a frontline management system. If if if, if you're talking to somebody who's no, who knows nothing about standard work for leaders or what that system is about, how how would you describe that in a nutshell to them? What what do you mean by a frontline management system? Well, every day, everybody who has a leadership and management position in the organization should know what they are going to do to deliver better value for the customer. And it's different at different levels. So if you're a frontline manager, you're going to be focused more on how do we actually identify, how do we, how do we train our frontline workers to identify and solve problems every day. I didn't say to solve the problems every day. I said to train the people who are actually doing the work to identify and solve the problems every day. So that's what the middle manager might do. 
at the vice president level uh, and, and above in the executive team, it becomes more about alignment and barrier removal. So we need to get to the Gimba so that we understand. So again, standard work, we're going to the Gimba, we're going to see and ask questions and uh, show respect. And what we're looking for are opportunities to remove barriers so that our frontline managers and ultimately our frontline workers can identify and solve problems every day for our customers. And so it's, it's, it's important to realize that, you know, at the top of the organization, or I actually like to think of it as the bottom of the organization. When I was the CEO, I was at the bottom, and I was actually supporting the people at the top who actually add the real value. My job is to make sure that I have not um, inundated them with too many initiatives. I see that all the time. That have made it very clear what the true north metrics are, so just a few. What are the things that really matter to the organization that I get to the Gimba and that I understand where the barriers are that only I can remove. And to your point of too many initiatives, I, I thought one, one thing you, you stated really clearly and compellingly in the book was the idea of not overburdening people, um, not overburdening uh, managers and staff, and that it's um, disrespectful or it's not a good example of respect for people to try to ask too many people to do too many things, right? So how, how do you work on... With, you know, trying to convince people to uh, have a greater sense of focus and what they're working on, because there are a lot of problems to solve, right? Yes, but it's one thing that to solve problems is another thing to create initiatives. And what we find is that organizations are they have way too many initiatives. So, for example, I was in an organization the other day, and we asked them how many initiatives they had. They wrote them out on yellow stickies, and there were 242. Strategic initiatives, 242. I mean, there's no possible way that we're going to get 242 strategic initiatives done in my lifetime, let alone in a year. Yet, those executives are not the ones that are doing the work. They pass it off to the next person who passes it off to the next person, and finally it ends up on the lap of the people that are actually trying to add value to our customers every day. And so they're running around like chickens with their head cut off because we're you know, creating all these initiatives. So it's really important at the senior executive level to clearly state what those initiatives are and get as many of them off the plate as we can so that we can spend more of our resources at the front line identifying and solving problems that really matter. Yeah, oh, and I've, I've, seen more, I've seen a number greater than 242 um, at, at another health system uh, going through that similar initiative. And you know, I think you know, when they start reflecting on what they've done in the past, you know, they 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 realize that, you know, they 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 have such a long list of initiatives and they're not getting, they're 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 not being completed. So it's better, you know, to have a small number of initiatives that they can actually complete and then move on to the next. I remember all the you know the visits to Theta Care, seeing the very publicly displayed, um, I figure exactly what it was called, but the the wall that talked about. Um, the initiatives that were being very purposely put on hold, deselected, right? Right. It's very hard to deselect, but very important. Yeah. So uh, one other thing that I thought was really interesting in the book, um, you know, we've talked already about not focusing too much on uh, cost reduction as a primary goal or not focusing only on cost reduction. Um, you, you, you talked uh, a lot in the book about ROI, um, why that can be problematic. So I wonder if you can talk to the listeners about that. Well, we had uh, we had to prove to ourselves, and this is I, you know, I, 
I tell you what we did, not what you should do. <laughs> but we had to prove to ourselves that the lean journey was actually delivering results, financial results. And so my CFO, when I started as CEO, actually measured the return on investment for the first couple of years of our lean activity. Unfortunately, what he was measuring was the results of Kaizen and value stream mapping and that sort of thing, not the actual results of the organization overall from a cultural standpoint and a quality standpoint. And, you know, we found that, and, and this has been true of most organizations, or this has been true in the articles that have been published about this in healthcare and certainly outside of healthcare, is that the return is about three to one if you're successful. And in our case, it was like five or in, in one year, it was nine to one. So it's not so much about measuring the ROI as it is about making sure that you're actually successfully transforming your organization using the methodology. I would much rather people focus on, okay, how do we know whether we're actually, you know, transforming the organization versus uh, how much return are we getting? Because if you're doing the transformation in the framework that we've laid out uh, and, and you're successfully uh, doing that, you're going to get the return and it's been proven over and over and over again. We don't have to keep reinventing the wheel here and ROI simply takes valuable finance, finance resources uh, off where they should be which is in the Gimba helping the managers understand their financial performance and improving it. So let's let's talk more about finance and maybe some of the other um, support departments that, that you write about in the book, uh, the need for them to be key partners in a transformation. So what, what does it mean uh, or how, how does finance more directly support a lean transformation, uh, getting out of the office and, and being at the Gemba? Do you have some examples of what that might look like? Yeah, they... You know, we had our finance folks uh, sitting in their office as cops, you know, so you didn't meet your budget and we're going to get finance to come and beat you up. And the finance people hated that role. And I hated that role for them. So what we decided was what we're really trying to do is improve financial performance. What's the best way to improve financial performance? Not to act as a cop, but to actually act as a, as a team member on a management team that's focused on improving financial performance and quality performance and staff engagement and customer loyalty and all those things. So we started the process of trying to eliminate the budget because we felt that that was a lot of wasted finance time and if we could get rid of that we could redeploy those finance people to the various frontline units to help them understand their financial performance. It took a few years to get that done, but in 2010, ThetaCare did move to a forecasting process. It freed up uh, quite a few thousand hours, about 10,000 hours of time, uh, of finance people to actually then work with the team members uh, on the front line in the different departments, whether it was the ICU, the emergency room, or the clinic. And once we were able to do, redeploy those finance resources to, to where the work's being done, guess what happened? financial improvement and, and you know this is what we wanted all along so when we stopped having our finance people be cops and started having them be part of the team they were very helpful well and i think 
there's probably a more general lesson about that as well, um, not just for support departments, but back to the role of um, leaders in a frontline management system. I, I, what you said reminded me of someone I know at a hospital in Dallas where you know he was in the hospital lab. They had asked him pretty much every year for eight or nine years, hey, would you like to be a shift supervisor? And he always said no. Uh, until they started, you know, in, you know, their, through their lean transformation and change in the culture, he finally became a shift supervisor because he said the role was redefined from being a cop to being a coach. He didn't want to be a cop, but he was more than happy being a coach in the way you described earlier of helping eliminate barriers instead of just finding fault or blaming people. I think that that's a huge part of that lean transformation. Absolutely. Yep, it's a whole different role, and it's a much more exciting role for all for all people to play. Whether you're in finance or management or, you know, HR or IT, whatever. I mean, don't you want to be on a on a team that to 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 support the the improvement of the value to the patient? I mean, I think that's why we go into this business. Yeah. Well, there, there's there's that you know incredibly powerful you know purpose and intrinsic motivation. Uh, in healthcare, if we allow people to rediscover that, or if we tap into that, um, yeah, and I'm, I'm sure you know that that focus is there. Finance people are working, I assume, in finance at a hospital instead of someplace else because they have a connection to that mission. Same with HR, right? Right. Um, so, you know, can you talk about HR for a minute? What are some of the ways that you see HR organ, uh, you know, HR departments contributing to a lean transformation? I think it's really important to get these um, administrative service areas on board early uh, in the transformation, which is really why I spent half of the book on the administrative service areas, because hardly anybody ever writes about them, but yet they're absolutely critically important. Finance is certainly one of them, and HR is absolutely one of them, and guess why? Because really all lean is is a people development system, and HR has a lot to do with people development. And so what we have to do is define, first of all, what we are developing people to become. Uh, so what are those competencies? What are the, the traits of the type of worker that we're after hiring? Uh, and, and make sure that we're actually hiring the right people, that we're developing those people effectively to be able to identify and solve problems every day. Uh, or if they're a leadership, uh, you know, role, you know, uh, understanding what is is expected of them from a standard work perspective at their at at all of whatever level that they're at. But in addition to that, we've got all these other things that are so critical. Like you mentioned earlier, the no layoff piece. Well, guess what? If you're going to have a no layoff philosophy, you better have a redeployment plan. Mm -hmm. Guess who develops the redeployment plan? You know, it's the HR folks. And I showed at the summit this year kind of the process that, uh, you know, lean organization uses pretty sophisticated process to make sure that we don't, you know, let anybody go due to improvement work. So, you know, there's just a number of things that are critical when it comes to the people side of this, uh, and not to mention the whole uh, management, uh, um, you know, training the management system, which which HR is is definitely part of as well. So uh, it's it's very important to have them as a team member. Yeah, and w one of the group it seems that's critically important is the board. And do you see uh, organizations where the board is more directly? 
getting involved, both maybe from the standpoint of challenging the CEO and the other leaders who report to the board, challenging them to find different ways of driving better performance, but at the same time trying to you know, be supportive and, and remove barriers. Can, can the board drive and model some of those behaviors or does the board at best just sort of stay out of the way? Well, it's interesting. I was just this morning, I was with a CEO uh, from a Michigan hospital and I asked the question, so is your board on board with this transformational journey that you're thinking about? And, um, you know, he said, I've had like three of my board members say it's about time. Mm -hmm. So I think that boards are actually becoming more sophisticated and sort those guys on his board we're actually from manufacturing, and as you know, there's a lot of great lean manufacturers in Michigan. And, um, and so they know that, I mean, if they didn't use this method, they would have been out of business years ago. And they are sort of, sort of uh, uh, amazed that somehow in healthcare, operational excellence has not been uh, a focus. So I, I think we're seeing more and more, and I, and I do a lot of work with boards, but I'm seeing more and more boards really not only understanding what we're trying to accomplish, but actually quite on board with it. Now, that's not true of all the board members, but, but usually there's a couple people on these not-for-profit hospital boards that deeply understand this method. And they can bring the other board members along. You know, they can help. They can teach. And, uh, and it's the board's role to support the CEO in making this happen because everything doesn't go swimmingly, you know. We have problems along the way. People don't like change. This is transformational change. The doctors sometimes aren't going to like change, you know. And, and the board has got to be there to support the CEO when stuff happens. And, um, yeah, there, there's, I think, you know, there's a clear pattern uh, where if you look at the ThetaCare story, as you wrote about in your first book, On the Mend, if you look at the Virginia Mason Medical Center story, they had, like you said, people on their boards who had something to teach, but they had certainly skin in the game that they were paying for the healthcare costs for their employees and they were motivated uh, to help. Do you, do you have um, advice? You know, I know a lot of uh, manufacturing leaders out there who um, I think would be interested in, in, in trying to help, but what advice would you have for them if they had interest in trying to get on a hospital board, how, how might somebody go about doing that? You know, every, every situation is different, but, but, but I think that CEOs in today's world are always looking for board members who can contribute and contribute from a strategic standpoint contribute from a teaching standpoint. And if you're in an organization, you know, you're a lay board member, in an, but you run an organization or you're at a, an executive level uh, in an organization that's actually been through this transformational journey, you can be very valuable to these, to these uh, hospital leaders. And I think you just make it clear to, you know, the powers that be that you're interested in participating and interesting, interested in helping. Um, you know, we got a number of people like that uh, uh, on our board that, you know, they raised their hand. They said, listen, you know, healthcare is important. It's important to my company. It's important to me. I want to participate. I want to add some value. And so does a lot of that, do you think, come through just networking in the community or somebody could reach out and try to 
to make an appointment to try to meet with an executive or, or figure out what event they could I, attend? Yeah, I had people, I had community members from these companies that would, from time to time, come in and meet me or, or, or I wanted to meet them. I think it's perfectly reasonable to call up the hospital CEO and say, hey, I'd like to come and talk to you and see what you're doing. And, and uh, you know, I mean, it's these most of these organizations are not for profit, supposed to be focused on the community. Well, you know, we better listen to the community leaders. So uh, I've got a couple questions, you know, in the time that we have left that came from people uh, via Twitter. And uh, one of them, uh, Paul Crickley, uh, correctly, um, Paul asked, uh, do you see lean playing a part in standardizing not only services across site, but perhaps fees and prices as well? I'm curious what you think might be happening through healthcare reform or, or other efforts that in, in, in that way. Well, I think, I think what, what, what the methodology does is it, it is a, it's a way for us as providers to adapt to our environment quickly. So, for example, the the these local corporations here in this in the market in Wisconsin, and and now I'm seeing it in many markets across the country, are are, are saying to health systems, listen, we're going to pay you twenty seven thousand dollars for a knee joint replacement, and that's it. And then you have to decide, are you in or not? And otherwise, you're done doing knee joint replacements for this company. And um, and what that's driving is for us to say, well, gee, can we actually bundle all of the services for a knee joint uh, and make it as efficient as possible and still make money at $27,000? And so it's really getting, uh, you know, the method is, is, is to get us back together to say across these ep what we call episode treatment groups like a knee joint replacement, how do we get the services together in the highest quality, most efficient way? And we have to do that, or we're simply not going to be in the game. And at the uh, the summit in June, I forget the speaker's name, uh, the, the guy who's there from CalPERS mm -hmm. uh, in California was talking about this quite a bit, where they're basically saying to the health providers, here's what we're willing to pay. Are you in or are you out? Do you, do you see more of that happening uh, around the U.S., do you think, uh, in that type of model of the payers, the employers being more demanding and saying, look, this, this, here's, here's an above average price. Can you meet it or not? Absolutely. I mean, for elective uh, procedures, I think this is exactly the way it's going to go. Um, here's the price. And guess what? The price isn't going to go up every year. It's probably going to go down. And so you better figure out how to be more and more efficient each year because we're just not going to pay these exorbitant prices anymore. And, you know, when you have a variation from, I think uh, it was like $110,000 all the way down to fifteen or $12,000 for the same procedure, I mean, what are the, the employers don't have any choice. They have to, they have to, you know, basically say, here's the reference price because um, some of you guys are gouging me. Well, and that, that price variation is uh, is shocking when you see that being reported. Uh, the, the, the quality variation or, or the lack of um, correlation between quality and, and price uh, is, is pretty shocking. So I, I would hope if somebody, you know, sees that their employer is demanding, um, you know, uh, you know that, that, that they go to an organization that has uh, a lower price that in a lot of cases that actually implies better quality, if not the same. 
right? When you see data like that in Wisconsin and other states, right? Exactly. The lower the lower the cost of care delivery, the better the quality, and that's just uh, the, the exact opposite of what most people think in the industry. Yeah, it's very very counterintuitive, um, as I guess you know a lot of things are in lean. Um, one other question that came in via Twitter, again, I think this is, you know, these are issues that are really important to healthcare consumers. John Hunter, and, and John, you know, has, has a lot of history and involvement with the Deming Institute. And, and he asked uh, to hear your thoughts on healthcare providing prices to customers before they buy, as most other businesses do. Do you see that trend continuing? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, this example we just showed or talked about is an example that says, here's the price, um, you know, and then you decide, provider system, you decide whether or not you're going to be a player at that price. And I think that's exactly what's going to happen across almost all elective procedures, everything from heart surgery to, you know, toenail removal, um, I think we're going to see more and more of this, what we call reference pricing, which is this is the this is the highest price we're going to pay as an employer and, um, you know, either accept it or or you don't get the business. And, and I think we're going to see more and more and more of that. And CMS just came out with a big bundled payment initiative. Uh, they just announced it last week. There are a lot of... Uh, potential flaws in what they've put together so far, so it's going to have to be improved. But they definitely are going down the path of a, of a uh, you know, a bundled pricing mechanism for paying providers. Um, so this is the world we live in, which, which means that we're going to have to get all the players that actually are delivering the service together on the same team to deliver the best service, best quality, lowest cost. Well, and that's that's part of the big challenge uh, that's out there for organizations, and it's it's encouraging to see uh, more leaders, more executives, more organizations taking on lean healthcare. Uh, that that opportunity and that challenge to um, to transform the organizations. So, um, to to maybe wrap up here, um, is, is there something really cool that you've seen recently out there under the banner of lean healthcare? Something that was surprising or sort of a a really noteworthy, um, good story that you've seen that you might share with us. You know, I was at the South Shore Hospital in Boston um, a few weeks ago, and I I observed something that they call stop the line, and it was a fascinating process where the nurse actually identified a medication, a potential medication error, and uh, or a med rec error. It didn't matter. And she would stop the line by calling this team of a pharmacist and a um, another nurse who would immediately come to her station and um, in front of the patient's in, in, in front of the patient's room, and they would do a, a root cause analysis uh, on what the medication problem was, whether it was a med rec issue or wrong dose or or whatever. And uh, it took about four minutes. And then the pharmacist and nurse who were part of this, you know, stop the line team were, were working with that nurse to identify a solution. Uh, and I actually observed one of these things uh, happen, and uh, it was quite remarkable. You can imagine if you could do a stop the line on every single medication error or reconciliation error or anything related to medication problems and actually fix the issue 
rather than just you know do a workaround, and that's what they were doing was fixing the issue. Um, that's pretty exciting stuff. So I congratulate them for the work that they're doing, and uh, um, hope to see more of it. Yeah, and that that's that's great to to hear about. And there are I think so many different um, if we bring it back to values and principles in in a story or a situation like that. The different principles about um, you know putting safety and quality first, uh, focusing on the customer, but at the same time you know supporting the staff and not putting them in a position where they're involved in you know. Uh, a systemic error that they might otherwise be blamed for. I mean, you know, that, that story, I mean, we could probably go on and on about the number of different principles that are sort of embedded into that practice. Or would you agree? Are there other principles that, that I might've missed? No, I think that, uh, you know, many of the lean principles are, are embedded in that, in that experiment, you know, and they'd run it on one department and now they were, they were, you know, in the process of spreading it. But again, you know, We've got to build the management system now that can support that that daily work. But it was absolutely the right daily work from the standpoint of creating better value to the patient and not passing defects on to the next patient. And, I, and I'm seeing things like this now almost everywhere I go in organizations that are really serious about the transformation. So it's pretty exciting time in healthcare, and uh, you know I'm I'm optimistic that. Uh, you know, that leaders are willing to change and that we're actually seeing some pretty impressive changes. Yeah, and, and what you described there uh, is something that maybe, maybe you know, down the road we can do another podcast. I had meant to take a little bit deeper dive into what you wrote about around model cells and what you described with that stop the line process sounds like a model cell. They, they started in a department, they saw that it worked, and now they're going to try to spread that through the rest of the organization. So maybe would you be willing to come back uh, at some point down the road and maybe talk more about model lines and, and spreading beyond model lines? Yeah, I think that's a that's a whole topic within itself, and I, I think we've learned a lot from many organizations about what's successful uh, related to not only model cell development but also spread, which has obviously been the most difficult thing of all. Um, so it probably does warrant, you know, a whole separate podcast, Mark. I'd be happy to do that. Okay. But for now, I'll, I'll leave it with the plug. If people would like to read about that, um, they should definitely check out uh, the book Management on the Mend. It's available through uh, createvalue.org. I, I saw that the Kindle version is now available uh, on, on Amazon for just $9.99. So I definitely uh, would, would, would recommend uh, people getting the book and giving it a read. I know a lot of people are doing that. And um, so, John, thank you uh, for, for the book. Thank you for sharing the good things you're seeing out there and, and some of the challenges. And, and thanks for being a guest here on the podcast. Thank you, Mark. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.